0: This week's text as we as I started to look into it and prepare for it it was it was challenging for me. Um we're following the lectionary and I, I've talked about it before but what that means is there's a a flow to the church year. Um you know, obviously we celebrate Christmas at Christmas time and Easter at Easter time, but there's these seasons in between and and a long time ago people got together and prescribed text and helped organize and group the the scriptures so that if somebody wanted to, they could follow through the big narrative of Christianity um, by following these texts. And so uh, oftentimes the text that I'm preaching from wasn't one that I said, oh, I want to preach from that, but it comes from that lectionary that is in the life of the church. And so we're going to spend, like I said last week, the next several weeks talking about um, the upside down kingdom, looking at how Jesus taught uh, about the kingdom of God, what he explained it to us to mean how he interpreted it for us and, and what we should do with it. Um, and like I said, this this week's text was, was challenging for me, and as I wrestled with it and thought about it, um, I was reminded of a story from when I was a uh, bivocational pastor the first church I was at. I was bivocational, and I was a warehouse manager, um, distribution logistics manager um, at the same time. And so we're going back probably, I don't know, 15 years ago or more but there was a, a guy on my my team, I was his manager. Uh, his name was mark, and uh he was one of those people that wanted to to do a good job. He like was super enthusiastic about it. He wanted to do a good job, not just because he wanted to do a good job, he wanted everybody to know that he did a good job. you know what I mean you, you know those types of people, maybe it's you, but it's like gung ho super enthusiastic, super ready to take on whatever task and and, and wanted to exceed expectations far and beyond it right and, And it was great to have on your team somebody like that that brought that energy. Um, The downside, the flip side of that coin is sometimes uh, enthusiasm replaced caution. I'm talking about somebody that's super excited about stuff so they kind of throw caution to the wind and they they find up making mistakes or doing things that kind of cancels out the enthusiasm a little bit. So um, this story that that came to mind was uh, of Mark and I call him Mark the Overzealous Warehouse Associate. he was gung-ho, he was ready to go, and, and that was a huge asset to have on my, my team. Uh, my responsibility was to manage a group of people that were filling orders that were going to put non-conveyable freight, so pallets and stuff too heavy to ride on conveyor belts, uh, and bring it to the shipping docks to load on trucks to go to stores. Um, our distribution facility at that time served probably around 200 stores, and we had 30 shipping docks. So if you just quick calculation, you know that uh, we don't have a dock for every store, which meant trailers had to go in and out of the docks depending on um, what store we were loading at any given time. Now it got tricky because we were the non-conveyable team, but there was a, a whole group of people, like lots and lots of people, putting cases on conveyor belts that would get sorted down and go into the p- proper docks. And so the, the task of our, the management team, like our whole group, was to work together so that the non-conveyable freight, the conveyable freight, the people, and the truck all arrived at the same spot at the same time, right? So the stores were getting the right items and and all that. And it took a lot of coordination, and then when we said we're done with this, we had to switch out trucks and bring in the next truck to go to a different store. It it was uh, quite a bit of coordinating to do. And so everybody had to kind of work together and stay in pace. Well, on this specific day, there was a special item that my team was supposed to handle. Um, It was a, a... Kmart distribution center that that I worked in and Kmart had a big weekend sale on, I don't even remember what the item was, but it was going out in full pallets. So these huge big pallets of this time-sensitive sale item. And if it didn't get on the trucks today, it wasn't going to be in the stores for the weekend sales, right? So this was super critical that it got on this. And so I grabbed Mark and assigned him the work of getting these special pallets to the dock doors that they're supposed to be at. I knew he would embrace the challenge. I knew he would understand the importance of this mission and he'd go above and beyond to make this, this work. Um, and, and again, it's one of those things that like, if they didn't get on the trucks today, they weren't going to be in the stores in time. Um, well, <clears throat> he figured out quickly, Mark, the overzealous warehouse associate, figured out that these pallets of items that he had to bring to the shipping docks were in the far back of our warehouse, like the complete opposite side of the shipping docks. our warehouse was uh, a little over a million square feet. So a round trip of taking a pallet or two pallets from back to the dock and then back to go get another one was probably about a 10-minute trip. And he did that a few times and he started feeling like that wasn't very effective. It wasn't a good use of his time to go get a pallet, go get two pallets, bring it to the dock and then go back and get more. And so the pallets were stored high up in in racking, warehouse racking, and so he had to use a special type of truck to bring the pallets down and then shuttle them over to the dock area. Well, he figured out that if his work was, if he was going to do this, his work would be much more productive if he took all the pallets out of the racks, all, I think it was 120, 130 pallets, pulled them all down at once, because that, like, he could just work continuously on that one task, line them up and then switch out his equipment and go grab a different type of fork truck that could carry four pallets at a time and go and drop them off at the docks. And if he was the only person, you know, whose work I was concerned about that day, this would have been a great idea. His productivity, uh, the savings of of switching equipment and doing it the way that he did, his performance was well over 100% of expectation for that day. The downside was, is the pallets that he was pulling out of the rack and staging, that he was gonna say, I'll get those later, we're supposed to be on the trucks that were leaving the doctors already, right? His work was, was time not to make his performance the best, but to get the freight on the right trucks to coincide with what was happening in the shipping. And so at some point, I realized as a, as a, a manager juggling a, a huge space, like I said, a million square foot warehouse, I finally caught up with Mark and saw what he was doing. And I approached him, and he rode up to me on his fork truck, big old smile on his face super excited about the decision that he made all on his own. He said, my performance is going to be through the roof today. I, uh, and I instantly knew what he was doing, and he was super excited about the work that he was doing. And I said, yeah, but those pallets that are sitting right there are supposed to be on trucks already. There's drivers ready to take these trailers off the lot and go take them to the stores in, like, Ohio and Michigan. We were in Illinois, and, like, Tennessee and Kentucky, like we were a regional distribution center. And I told him, I said, these pallets that are sitting here that are getting you 100% performance, like everything else we've done today is failing because they're sitting here. And it took a while for him to realize that the work he was doing was good for him, but the mission of the whole team, the mission of the organization, I mean, I'm not saying that's why Kmart went out of business, but (laughs) it didn't help, right? Right. and so today we're looking at a story in scripture where, where the disciples of Jesus were super enthusiastic about their task, their job, but because they were doing their job, or were excited about what they thought they were called to be doing, they created barriers, they prevented others from doing the work that they were supposed to be doing. Um, this will make more sense as we dig into the scripture, but I'll tell you too that, like I said, this, this whole chunk of scripture that we're going to read, this whole text, has a lot going on in there, um, but let's... Let's take a look at it. It's Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 50. Um, it'll be on the screen or if you've got a, a Bible or you know, an app on your, your phone or whatever. Or, I'm going to remind myself, if you don't have a Bible, there's these in the back of the chairs. Take one with you. Um, I want to make sure everybody has a Bible. Um, Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 50. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, And we told him to stop, because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one does a miracle in my name, can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them If a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than have two eyes And be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt amongst yourselves, and be at peace with each other. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. Again, not just words on a page, although we are truly grateful To be able to read the scriptures and have access to them um, at our convenience. Whenever we so choose, Christians throughout history would would have loved to have the access to scriptures that we have. And so we're grateful for that. But we're more grateful for the word that became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We're grateful for Jesus, the word uh, who reveals uh, who you are to us. Reveals your character, your nature, reveals your kingdom to us. So this morning, may your spirit speak to our hearts and speak to our minds, guide us into life in this upside-down kingdom. We thank you and we love you. Amen. Like I said, this was a weird scripture text for me to kind of dig into to prepare to preach from. It it feels It felt like as I was going through that it should be a bunch of separate sermons, and I think I've probably heard sermons on a few of these verses as standalone things. Um, But it feels like a a separate group of teachings. Like first, there's the disciples stopping a guy from casting out demons, like that's a story, and then and and then Jesus quickly moves to talking about you know causing others to stumble, and then he jumps to uh, cutting off hands and feet and eyes if they cause you to stumble. And then without any explanation, he just keeps going. He starts talking about people burning in fire, uh, in hell. And then he talks about salt and somehow concludes all of that with a statement that says, be at peace with one another. And like I said, if you take those individually, there's a lot you could probably, I mean, you could probably do a whole sermon series each week taking one of those different bullet points. Um, It might feel like uh, they're disconnected or random uh, but they were together. That's that's Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 50. They're, they're together. And I, and I started with the assumption that they're together for a reason. And so I really wanted to wrestle with what is it that Jesus is trying to do here? What is he trying to teach? Um, and so that's what got me thinking about Mark, the overzealous warehouse associate. Um, because I'll never forget the look on his face when he started to realize that while his performance was great... The entire warehouse had to shut down. We had to take volunteers uh, to stay after their shifts well until the early morning hours, two, three, four in the morning, calling trucks back into the docks, reloading trucks with this special freight so that the stores would have them. You could see the look on his face when he realized that he had messed up. Um, but when he first approached me, he was definitely expecting a different reaction from me than what he got. Like I said, he came up to me super excited about the work that he was doing, and in the same way, I imagine John going up to Jesus in verse 38 here and declaring, this is the words of John, Teacher Jesus, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we stopped (laughs) them because he was not one of us, right? Like, he was excited about this. He thought this was a good thing. He was very proud of himself, the work that he had done. There was people somebody trying to cast out demons in your name and we stopped them. Now, if you were Jesus and John came up to you and told you this, what would you think? I mean, can you put yourself in Jesus' sandals for a moment? Do you think Jesus was excited to receive this message, to receive this news? Um, Do you think Jesus said, oh, good, thanks for doing that. I really like when people are possessed by demons. I'm glad you stopped that. Or, oh good, someone almost healed somebody else. We can't have that happening now. I'm glad you prevented that from occurring. So you've guessed in my imagination, Jesus is a little bit sarcastic and a little bit snarky. He may be different in your imagination, but that's, that's mine and that's okay. Um, obviously, Jesus didn't want people possessed with demons, right? Like Mark chapter one, we see Jesus throwing Casting out demons in the synagogue, right? Like it's part of his mission. From, the, from early days in his ministry, this was something that he did. He cast out demons. He was obviously not a big fan of demons possessing people. Um, in fact, it, this unknown, unnamed exorcist, this person casting out demons in Jesus' name, might have actually been in that synagogue and saw Jesus do it. Maybe that's where he got the idea. He observed Jesus doing this thing, and so maybe he said, well, I can do that too in Jesus' name. Um, So if Jesus was here to cast out demons and to heal people, which, again, he clearly declares as part of his mission, why would the disciples stop a man from doing that exact same work? And more importantly, why would they think that Jesus would be glad that they did? (laughs) Like, what was John expecting? Pat on the back? Gold star? John tells us, we told him to stop because he wasn't one of us. This is why they stopped him. It wasn't because casting out demons was bad. It was because he wasn't one of us. That's the NIV's translation. There's other translations that that translate a little bit differently. Um, Some say, we told him to stop because he wasn't following us. Uh, The message version, which again isn't a a, a literal translation, but uh, is one of my favorite ways to, to study this text the message version said, we stopped him because he wasn't in our group. So here's a man that was casting out demons in the name of Jesus and the followers of Jesus stopped him because he wasn't a part of the group, because he wasn't part of the official group of followers of Jesus. They were working from an assumption they assumed that not only was casting out demons important and special work, they thought this was important, significant work that was, that needed to be done, but not only did they believe that, but it, they believed it had to be done by the right people, by important people, by special people, by them. <laughs> right? those, they were those important, special people. Because you see in Mark chapter 6, just a few chapters early, uh, earlier, before that, Jesus sends his disciples out and tells them to go heal and cast out demons, and they do. It was their job. <laughs> and they saw this other man doing it. Right? They stopped this man because they thought of him as some sort of competition. I mean, they, at this point, they still thought Jesus was, was on his way to Jerusalem to become king of Israel and... And when he got to Jerusalem, he needed the crowd on his side. He needed the, the excitement. He needed, the, not mobs overstated, but he needed the, the crowd to be behind him, to be excited about who he is. And here's this other guy out here doing miracles. Well, that's a distraction. People might follow him instead. People might think that he's the Messiah. And it, we need everybody to be on Team Jesus, otherwise this isn't going to work, right? Someone doing Jesus-like miracles is a distraction or a competition to Jesus' mission, or so they thought. But then John also said this, he wasn't following us. So, well, it it might make sense to say, well, he was concerned that that people were going to follow this guy versus following Jesus, but he reveals in the statement that he was more concerned that people weren't following us. We, the disciples, the followers, right? (laughs) The disciples were feeling pretty important at this point. They were feeling pretty special about their their place. They were close to Jesus, right? It was just a few verses up the page. They were arguing about who was the greatest in their group, right? They They were really concerned about status and place and privilege and power at this point. And here was a guy out there doing this thing, and he wasn't in their ranks. He wasn't part of their group, right? They thought that casting out demons and healing people made them important, gave them status, gave them significance. But this guy out here, casting out demons in Jesus' name, you know, all willy-nilly, not under the supervision of them, was a threat to their position and status. And Jesus responds, and I love his response. He declares that this man was not his enemy, It's not their enemy. They were actually sharing in the same mission, the same goal, the same purpose. Jesus came to heal, redeem, restore, defeat death and all the consequences of sin, right? Like, he came to do that. And here was a man healing and redeeming people. Here's a man that was trying to work to overcome the suffering that sin and evil caused in in people's lives. So this man was out here trying to do the work that Jesus was teaching about, trying to do the work that Jesus himself was doing, and they put a stumbling block in front of him. They stopped him from doing the very thing that Jesus was teaching them to do. This man was out here trying to do the work of the kingdom of God, and they stopped him because he threatened their own kingdom. This man was doing the work of God's kingdom, but it felt like a threat to their kingdom, so we stopped him. Jesus then tells the disciples that if a little one is, you know, if they cause a little one to stumble, one who believes in him, it would be better to have a heavy stone tied around their neck and thrown into the sea, right? Verse 37, which is the verse right before our text for today, talks about Jesus picking up a child. And so maybe Jesus was referring, like he's changed the subject quickly. He's talking about this guy that was casting out demons, and then maybe he's talking about this kid that he's holding. Um, or maybe he's referring back to this man that was doing, uh, casting out the demons in in his name, and, and because he says, you know, uh, don't let one of these ones stumble, those who believe in me. right? So maybe he was, he was saying this one who's casting out demons that wasn't... Uh, part of the official group that maybe just was curious about Jesus or just trying to get to know Jesus a little bit more. Like maybe Jesus calls him a little one because he's not a part of their 12. He's not a part of their group, so maybe he refers to them as a little one, one without status, authority, power, whatever. Um, Either way, he's telling the disciples not to prevent others from living faithfully in the kingdom of God. He's talking about don't prevent others from coming to know Jesus as king from coming to live in the kingdom of God. He says then, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. So, like I said, things are moving fast here in Mark. He said, don't prevent others from coming. Don't cause other people to stumble. But then he quickly says, and if your hand causes you to stumble, if your foot causes you to stumble, if your eye causes you to stumble, get rid of it. Because the kingdom of God is where one hand is better than two, right? It's better to have one hand and live inside the kingdom of God than to have two hands and to live outside the kingdom of God. Jesus had sent his disciples out into the world to do the work of the kingdom and while they were out in the world doing uh, the things Jesus sent them to do, they stopped others from doing the work of the kingdom. Jesus says, not only are you messing up other people's ability to do what they were called to do or what they were empowered to do, um, to contribute to the kingdom. Uh, But you are tripping up yourself. You're causing yourself to stumble. You're preventing yourself from living in the kingdom of God. So in the Bible, when we see uh, the scriptures talk about hands, it's usually uh, symbolic or representative of work right hands are tied to work when the, the hands of god are about the works that god is doing the hands of the people are the works that the people do right hands are usually tied to the work that people do and feet are usually tied to messengers feet are, are tied to people that go places and announce things right so when <clears throat> when jesus talks about cutting off hands and feet he's pointing to the fact that the disciples were out doing work they were out putting energy and effort into things. They were out declaring messages. They were taking messages. They were doing the works of their hands and announcing messages by traveling with their feet. But it was the wrong work. They were doing work, but it was preventing people from experiencing the kingdom of God. They were keeping people demon-possessed and stopping people from, from participating in the healing work of God. And they were declaring the wrong message. They were saying, you have to be on my team. Follow me. Versus follow Jesus. The work and the message wasn't shaped by the kingdom of God. It wasn't shaped by the reign and rule of God. So Jesus says, cut off your hands. Cut off your feet. Pluck your eye out. Now, in the ancient world, you know, they didn't have wheelchairs. They didn't have walkers, crutches. I mean, maybe kind of some sort of crutch. But um, they wouldn't have the technology the aids that we have today that help people function when they have uh, certain disabilities. And so if you were without a hand or a foot in the time of Jesus or if you were without an eye in the time of Jesus, you were pretty limited in what you could do. That's why we see throughout the scriptures people uh, sitting in public spaces begging because they didn't have the ability to provide for themselves when they had one of these ailments. You could probably sit at home or sit in the public square and not do a whole lot more. And Jesus is telling the disciples the exact same thing that I wanted to tell overly zealous warehouse associate Mark when he kept defending what he had done. I didn't say this, but I wanted to. I wanted to say everyone would be better off today if you had just done nothing. If you had spent the last eight hours sitting in the break room, we would be better off right now. And of course, as a manager, I wasn't going to say that. That would be mean and spiteful, and I wasn't going to say that. That's what I wanted to say you have been better home, stay at home watching Netflix than doing all this mess that you made today. But this is what Jesus was telling the disciples. He says, if, if your work, you know, if your hand is causing you to work against the kingdom of God, cut it off. If your foot takes you places so you can announce the wrong message about who God is or what God is up to, cut off your feet and just stay home. Doing absolutely nothing is better than causing other people to stumble. Doing absolutely nothing is better than pushing people away from the kingdom of God. I'd rather you not use your hands than use your hands to build walls between God and his people. In our, our scripture that we read today, the NIV translates a word as hell, the fires of hell. Um, but the word behind that refers to a place, like a garbage dump type thing outside the city walls where all kinds of waste, decaying materials, is thrown and burned. It was outside the city walls. Um, the scripture talks about how that fire never goes out, right? So Jesus is talking about uh, living inside the kingdom with one hand versus living in this fire pit with two hands. He's basically saying it's better to live inside the kingdom of God with one hand, with one foot, than to live outside the walls of the kingdom with you know, two hands, two feet, two eyes, whatever. What he was telling his disciples is that it's be better that his followers would have done nothing than it was for them to cause others to stumble, to put barriers in between other people doing and receiving the work that God is trying to do in the world. Now, what does that all this have to do with with today? I, you might be thinking that Christians aren't putting barriers in front of other people um, we're not causing other people to stumble. Like as a church, we want people to come and to get to know Jesus, and we would celebrate if, if we had visitors, and we would celebrate if people confessed their faith in Christ and were baptized. Like we we want people to join Team Jesus. So you might be thinking, we're not putting barriers in front of people. We're not causing other people to stumble. And I wrestled with this for a little bit this week. And I come to the conclusion that. I think we do it more often than we're aware we do. Uh, for example, the first thing that popped in my mind is I personally know several women who understood a call to ministry the same way that I understood a call to ministry. God called them. It was clear as day. They understood that this is what God was calling my life to be. And yet, when they said yes to that call, the response was a lot different than when I said yes to that call. Right When they said yes to that call, a whole bunch of Christians came after them, hurt them, called them names, discouraged them, all in an effort to prevent them from sharing Jesus with others, all in an effort to prevent them from being faithful to what God was calling them to do. And it's sad, the Nazarene church has affirmed women pastors since day one, right, and yet, women in our denomination and our Nazarene churches encounter some of the most hurtful, mean-spirited things as they try to follow Jesus faithfully. And if you don't think that happens, talk to me at some point after service, and I'll put you in touch with some of my pastor uh, colleagues and friends that, and they'll share their stories with you. Um, some of them are, are really terrible, and I'm shocked to, to hear that, some of the comments. And, Anyways, it's a thing that happens. Um, or moving on, maybe, maybe we as a church or as Christians condemn or criticize other people that don't do things the same way we do or different than us, different denominations, different churches. Uh, when I started as a ministry student at Olivet uh, Nazarene University, I wasn't a Nazarene. I didn't grow up in a Nazarene church. Um, I grew up in a non-denominational church, which basically meant Baptist without that name on the sign. Um. And so I went to Olivet and I was part of the ministry prep program, ministry studies program, and I was one of the few probably that weren't Nazarene in that group. And so these young, ambitious um, pastoral ministry students who all thought they believed the same thing, that they were all in the room was all Nazarenes, um, started talking a lot of uh, mean-spirited things about Baptists and Calvinists and people that don't believe what they believe. And that was one of my first impressions of Nazarenes, Nazarene clergy, if you will. And it wasn't a good one. Um, but maybe that's, and expanding it out, like that was just my experience there, but maybe expanding it out, maybe we look at people who believe things differently than we do, we have different uh, doctrines or different views of, of prioritizing things you know this denomination wants is all focused on salvation and this one is focused on on uh, justice or reconciliation and this one's focused on holiness and this one's focused on the presence of God and this like and and we can look at each other and point fingers at each other and say well they're they're not us so they got it wrong and they're enemies and and all that and 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 if you don't believe me like maybe we just look at people and, and that don't believe exactly what we believe or or do things differently than we do, or interpret certain scriptures differently than we do, and, and we come to the conclusion that they aren't a real Christian. Um, and if, if you think I'm kind of exaggerating that or making that up, take a time, some time today and Google, using uh, quotation marks so you get the whole phrase, real Christian. Quotations, that, the quotation marks mean they'll do a search for that phrase together. And what you will get as a result is blogs, sermons, videos, pictures, uh, articles, all kinds of stuff that say basically the same thing that John told Jesus. These people, they're using your name, but they're not us. They're saying Christian, they're claiming faith, they say they follow you, but they're not in our group, so they must not be real Christians. right? They must not be doing the right way, they might not be doing the right things they are part of our group, so they are against us and we should stop them. How much energy and effort in the history of the church has gone not at uh, fulfilling the mission that Jesus has called us to do, but declaring, staking out our territory and arguing with other churches and other denominations about doctrinal stuff? I don't know if any of you guys are on Twitter or anything right now, but there's a whole world of just theological people arguing on, on Twitter. It's consuming. I'm like, how do you get any work done? Um, these people don't believe exactly the same thing we believe. They interpret scripturally differently. They believe different things about baptism. They believe different things about communion or speaking in tongues or caring for the poor. They define justice differently than we do. They, they uh, voted for somebody differently than we did. Uh, but rather than see how we are united by the name of Jesus and the mission of the kingdom of God, we see them as enemies that need to be stopped. They're doing work under the name of Jesus, but we see them as enemies that need to be stopped and then, even beyond that, there's a lot of stuff going on in churches today that's coming to the light about scandals of abuse, uh, abuse of power, physical, emotional abuse, financial abuse, the worldly influences on the church. there are people who have honestly and sincerely and this, this breaks my heart as a pastor there are people that, that come to a church honestly and sincerely seeking God, seeking Jesus, seeking healing, seeking forgiveness and walk out the door feeling farther away from God than they did when they came in. The church, uh, in, its, in its efforts, in its activities, in its functions, in its whatever, sometimes pushes people farther away from God than, than they were when they walked through the doors. Their experience with Christians or with the church have moved some people farther away. And it's, it's, not, no, it's not a small uh, number of people that this is happening to. It's, it's, it's significant enough that they actually have a name for the movement. It's ex-evangelical, people that are leaving evangelical churches. Or they call it deconstruction. People that are, are trying to hold on to faith in Jesus, but are trying to figure out how to do that by letting go of the church because the church isn't helping them find Jesus. There's a lot of ways to approach today's text, and like I said, it's complicated. It's difficult. It's not easy. But I think if Jesus was here and I could ask him, like, could you summarize this for me? Like, what are you trying to say here in Mark chapter 9? I think he would say this. It would be better for the church to do absolutely nothing than to use its energy and resources to build barriers between people and Jesus. I think that's what he's trying to, like if you got, the church has, has hands that are doing things that keep people from, from God, cut them off. If the, the feet of the church are, are keeping you from announcing the right message about, about who God is and what he's doing, cut it off. Like there's no room for that. It would be better for the church to cut off a hand or a foot or an eye than to work against the kingdom of God, to call other people enemies just because they're not following us. The church, in fact, should be doing everything it can to help people live faithfully in the kingdom, and it should be doing absolutely nothing to push people out of the kingdom. And so the invitation for us today, let us do our best to celebrate others who are doing the things that Jesus taught them to do, right? Let us celebrate others who are doing the things that Jesus taught them to do. We have not been called to defend our corner of the kingdom. We've not been called to defend our way of doing things, our interpretation of scripture, our, the name on the sign in front of the church. We haven't been called to defend our own little kingdoms, our own little corner of the kingdom, but rather we have been called to let the kingdom of God shape how we live. And I think that's why through this whole scripture text talking about stumbling blocks and millstones and fire and salt and, and little ones and casting out demons, I think Jesus ends this text the way that he does um, because that's ultimately the goal of it all. He says uh, for us, his disciples, to be at peace with each other. He concludes this this lesson, this teaching, by saying, be at peace with one another. That man out there doing the casting out demons in Jesus' name is not your enemy. You should be at peace with him. Those who are doing things differently, those who are salting your life with a little bit different flavor, a little bit different seasoning in the kingdom, like, be at peace with him. So let's do our best to celebrate others who are doing the things Jesus taught us to do. As we look around our lives, as we live in, in Battle Creek and the communities around it, as we go to work or we go to the hospitals or doctors or we go to, to school or wherever we go, may our eyes be tuned looking for the work that Jesus is doing in other people's lives, not so that we can be discouraged or see it as competition, but that we can celebrate it that God is at work in our communities, in the lives of the people we care about. If a church in Battle Creek does something amazing and awesome, we should celebrate it, not get discouraged that we weren't able to do it or They did something and we don't. They're not our competition. We're called to the same mission. We're called to the same purpose. So let us as Christians individually and as the church celebrate when the kingdom of God is revealed in our midst. Let us not see others as enemies if Jesus calls them brothers and sisters.